Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. Uh, it's such a blessing to see you, even under the circumstances. And I'm sure you can certainly turn off your videos. But hey, I, I just uh, as we're starting our, our our sermon here, our fourth Advent series sermon, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. I want to just take a moment and thank uh, Dr. Cuffey who preached last week. Um, and uh, shared with us from Isaiah 7, and Austin Berger, who preached two weeks ago and shared uh, Exodus 33. Appreciate them. Also just want to acknowledge uh, I had a team who helped to develop the sermon series, and thankful for them. Dr. Cuffey and Austin were part of that, but Gene Gill, uh, Trevor Reisinger, Andy and Madeline, I hope I didn't forget anybody. Um, but anyways, let's jump into the Word, and we will Actually, I'll pray and let's jump into the word. Father, we thank you for your, your blessing over this uh, service. Help us, Holy Spirit, help me and help us uh, to hear from you in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter one, open your Bibles, uh, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. As we've done this uh, Advent series, we started off in Genesis um, three weeks ago, and I shared from Genesis chapters two and three about how Adam and Eve, they had the presence of God with them, that God would come and walk in the garden with them. They were in a sanctuary, yet they lost it all. They gave it all away by, by, by not choosing to follow his commandment, but rather uh, what the serpent and what Satan uh, planted in their heart. And later on, as God's people, as God is working on his plan of redemption, he, his promise in the garden was that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would strike his heel. And then in Exodus 33, Moses had to intercede because God's people were rejecting him. They had served an idol. They had worshiped the, 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 the bronze um, calf and, or the golden calf. And then they were now, you know, God is saying, I, I, I can't go with them, Moses. I'm, I, I'll send you to the promised land, but I can't go with you. Yet Moses intercedes, and he's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the great interceder, the great mediator on behalf of God's people. And then Isaiah chapter 7, 
when King Ahaz and Judah were um, surrounded by enemies and in a real bind, um, Isaiah gave the prophecy that he would they would be delivered. But the sign of that was that a, a virgin would give birth to a son, Emmanuel. And of course, Matthew points out that scripture as being finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There was a former Emmanuel who was born, but there was a, a greater or deeper, richer fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to our, our text today. I want to uh, preview what uh, Matthew's saying here as we move forward in, in this particular text. There's three things that I, I, I want to look at that Matthew is showing us. Uh, first of all, longings, expectations, and disappointments. All of that is in play uh, for Joseph. It's all in play for those who were the first readers of the text, and it's certainly in play for us here in 2020. Uh, but secondly, that those longings and expectations and disappointments are eclipsed by the wonder of Jesus Christ. And finally, he is with us. So longings, expectations, and disappointments eclipsed by the wonder of Christ, and he is with us. You know, there's really two main emotions that this particular passage is getting at. It's producing within us, and one we have to enter into so that we can really know the grandeur of the other. It's disappointment and wonder. Disappointment and wonder. And, you know, the disappointment is felt on multiple levels, and I alluded to it a moment ago. The disappointment of Joseph, you think about Joseph, he's betrothed to Mary, and as far as he can tell, she's been unfaithful. And he doesn't really quite know what to do, except he resolves to divorce her quietly. There's deep disappointment that he feels. The readers of the text, the first century Jewish Christians that Matthew, the gospel writer, the apostle is writing to, they're feeling disappointment. The tension of Rome occupation. They know that Christ has come. And mind you, they don't have the full New Testament like we do. It was actually still being written the few decades uh, after Christ's, Christ's ascension when Matthew's gospel was written. So they know that Christ came, that he rose. They knew the promises that the Messiah would bring peace and that he would bring a kingly reign. Yet they also knew Rome was still very much in charge. There was deep disappointment. And finally, this is it's been a year of tremendous lament and disappointment uh, in so many ways. So it's appropriate that we consider the emotions of the text, what it's getting at and our own emotions here today. And we find how do we move from disappointment to wonder? So first point, longings, expectations, and disappointments. Longings, expectations, and disappointment. A baby, a baby. If you were with us last Sunday morning and perhaps you saw the pageant, what's the big deal about a baby? Is one of the lines in the pageant. Actually, my daughter, uh, one of my daughters had that line. Uh, it, it, babies, they, they provide so much excitement, Neil and Shui. They were here a moment ago and uh, their baby boys is, you know, so much excitement. So many you know, 
baby's born this year in TCBC. <clears throat> and, you know, many of us, you're excited to hold a baby. You can't even hold babies right now because of COVID. But babies bring so much ex expectation and anticipation, that whole process of knowing you're preg pregnant and then waiting. There's longing. Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Are they going to, is he or she going to have hair or is it, or no hair? What personality is going to be there? What temperament? Like mommy, like daddy? It's so exciting. It's so, there's so much anticipation and people get into it, right? You, you, you get excited about other people's babies. They're so exciting. Um, you know, people that you know, and then there's people that we don't even know and you're excited for them having a baby. Think about the royal family for example. And uh, they've, um, thankfully, you know, both uh, William and Kate and, uh, you know, Harry and um, Meghan Markle, they've all had kids. And so, but I, you know, go back to that first baby, uh, Prince George, and the world is waiting, you know, Prince William and Kate Middleton, and what is this baby going to be like? And they have a baby boy. And, you know, it's like the the royal family continues, the line continues, and there's all this excitement. And, you know, then of course, Harry, he gets married and marries Meghan Markle and they have a baby and et cetera. And so people get excited about babies. I think about the, probably the most famous couple in all of music, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Their baby, their first baby, uh, um, Blue, Blue Ivy. Uh, so I, I, living in New York, you, you get the weight of this. They, they delivered in Manhattan at Lenox, Lenox Hill, Hill Hospital and reportedly paid $1.3 million just to reserve the fourth floor for themselves. Cover up all the you know, security cameras. Nobody's going to get a peek at the baby. And, uh, and then they finally reveal the baby. And Jay-Z writes this song about her called Glory. Babies produce this amazing awe and anticipation and wonder. But not all pregnancies end with that anticipation. There's also agony and despair. And for many of you, you know the pain of a miscarriage, the pain of that loss, the heartbreak. And my heart goes out to you. It, it, it's so prevalent, even the first, even the royal family, even Harry and Meghan Markle, and Meghan Markle talks about the pain that she was carrying after a miscarriage. Um, Jay-Z and Beyonce, as powerful as they are in the music industry, they felt the pain of a miscarriage before having Blue Ivy. Not all anticipation ends enjoy. Some of it ends in despair. Some of it produces heartbreak. Even for Becca and I, our fourth baby, Solomon, the pregnancy was a roller coaster of emotion. Uh, we found out we were pregnant and a few weeks went by and, um, you know, there was heavy bleeding. And so we actually thought we lost him. We thought he had miscarried. We were out of town and we went back to New York. She went back and went to the doctor. She examined and thankfully 
there was, you know, there was good news and bad news. The good news was that he was still alive and kicking. The bad news was there was a hematoma and it threatened his life. So we, we had grieved him not being there. We found out that he, he's alive. And then there's a threat to his life. Um, we were praying and the, the Lord healed uh, Becca and the hematoma and that went away. And then a couple of weeks went by and we had some tests done and found out one was abnormal. So much so that it was uh, potentially a chromosomal defect. And we thought, well, best case scenario, Down syndrome. And there are several other worse cases uh, which would result in death in the pregnancy. But thankfully, by God's grace, none of that materialized. So in three instances, we either thought we lost or had the potential of losing Solomon. Yet, he was, he was okay. And we are grateful. It's like uh, Abraham and Sarah, when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac on um, the mountain in Hebrews, it says that he, figuratively speaking, received him back from the dead. And that's what it felt like for us with Solomon. But, you know, not everybody experiences that in the threat of losing a pregnancy. There are so many dark days that come as a result. And for some of us, it's not the agony of losing a pregnancy. It's that you've not even been able to get pregnant. Or, um, you know, we've had friends who've done in, vit in vitro and, and they tried it and it didn't work. And they, you know, they spent so much money and so much emotion and it didn't work out. And in one case, they stopped and God did a miracle. And they had a baby and they had a second child. They have two healthy daughters. And, uh, and there's another uh, couple that we knew they tried in vitro, they tried and they, they, they gave and it didn't work and their hopes were up and they were dashed. Then they decided a, adoption. And so, so they go and then, and then they, they're holding the baby in their hands and the adoption falls through and they go home empty handed and heavy hearted. Some of you, uh, you, you, the thrill of children is something you would long for, but you haven't been able to get married yet. You're still waiting. Some of you had the, the thrill of adoption and the excitement of that waiting and anticipation ending and bringing home that child. Some have had the thrill of fostering uh, while others have had the loss of losing touch and the heartbreak of losing touch with the foster child and moves on and you can no longer contact them. Still others know the heartbreak of a healthy baby who grows up in your home and goes off and later walks away from the Lord. Some of you know a, a tension of anticipation, longing, and disappointment in a different way. You're living a life of celibate singleness and experiencing expectation and loss in a very different way. Life is filled with expectations, longings, and disappointments. And often we're wondering, where is God in the midst of our waiting? Joseph must have wondered this. And we, so we, we have to feel this sense of angst, this sense of sorrow, this lament as we approach this text to really understand what's happening and the joy, the wonder that God brings us 
in the midst of it. Uh, verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. This, this baby did not bring the typical joy and excitement that ba babies should bring. It brought sorrow for Joseph. It brought disappointment. It brought shock and embarrassment and shame finding out that Mary was pregnant. Yet he was, as it says, a just man and he didn't wanna publicly shame her by divorcing when a in a public sort of tribunal, but decided to do it quietly. And he had to deal with the turmoil of this disappointment. The longing of being with his betrothed is now not gonna materialize. The Jewish Christian audience who was reading this, there was anticipation developing from all of the Old Testament, from Genesis and the story that the one who was coming to crush the serpent and all throughout the accounts of the Old Testament that God would bring them into their promised land and offer them peace that even though in Isaiah and the prophets they said you're going to be exiled and God will bring you back and restore your fortunes and bring a Davidic king who will bring peace. Century after century, generation after generation, they were waiting for this fulfillment to come. And for those who were reading this text, they were trying to make sense of the tension. Jesus came, he, the Messiah came and he wrote and he died and he rose and he is in heaven. Yet we are still not free, not from a political standpoint, not from an occupation standpoint, we still have Rome oppressing us. It's disappointing. So there's a sense of longing and expectation and disappointment in Joseph. There's a sense of longing and expectation and disappointment in the first audience. And then there's us. There's this year. There's the pandemic. There is small business owners and all the challenges they've gone through, and especially restaurants closing and layoffs and so many hungry families and people relying on others to help them just to get food on the table. The government woes, waiting on Congress to come to agreement to get aid to the people who need it the most, and the contested election before, during, and after. And let's not forget all of the racial justice and all the events of this year. I, I, for my biological family, uh, this would have been this week, my uncle's birthday, uh, it was 20-something years ago. I was studying for finals and my mom called me and she said, Uncle Earl has, has been killed. He's been shot and it was a police officer. There's so many people who, deal, who have dealt with that, that pain this year, even as the world has been awakened to something that has been a reality for the Black community for decades and much longer. It's been a world of, it's been a year of disappointment, a year of turmoil, a year of lament. But how do we move from that to the wonder of Advent? How did Joseph move from 
his disappointment to the wonder of Jesus Christ is going to be born. How did he move from contemplating divorcing Mary to embracing her as his wife, though she was pregnant with a child that was not his own? What does the Holy Spirit want us to see in order to move from disappointment to wonder? Let's look at our second point, eclipsed by the wonder of his being. Eclipsed by the wonder of his being. Let's think about first, how do we deal with disappointment? It's, let's look at two sort of opposite responses that are out there. And then a third response that we're more likely to probably choose. This is certainly not an exhaustive list of options, but first let's think about emotional withdrawal, a, an Eastern sort of religious response to things, a Buddhist response. Kobayashi Isa, who lived in the late 18th, early 19th century, was a Buddhist poet and had tragedy in his life. Uh, he married late uh, at the age of 49 and his First, him and his wife's first child died shortly after birth. And then two and a half years later, his daughter died as well. And he wrote this poem. It says, the world of dew. A world of dew it is indeed. And yet, and yet. The Buddhist mindset is to deal with suffering and disappointment by emotional detachment. There's freedom in just accepting it. In fact, they would say nothing is permanent. The soul isn't permanent. Life is not permanent. And that's why he says the world of dew, a world of dew it is indeed. It's not permanent. Dew is not permanent. Life is not permanent. That's how he's addressing his suffering, his loss, his turmoil, his pain. The problem is, is it doesn't actually address human longing. Isa acknowledges that longing still exists, even if we try to detach ourselves and withdraw. He says, and yet, and yet. Longing is a part of the human experience, no matter how much we try to suppress it. A second option, or sort of the other end of the spectrum, is emotional gratification. That would be our Western mindset. In our culture, we seek individual expression as our way of dealing with longing. We sort of have a, a value system in our culture is that the body is a prison and that the true self is the inner self and I need to do whatever I can to express it, to let it out, emotional gratification. All of, all of life is to feel good. It's the triumph of the therapeutic. Life is about feeling good. The problem is, is our way of life is, is really lacking in addressing human longing as well. I mean, just think about the suicide rates, the self-harm that's on the rise, the depression and other maladies that are just rampant in our Western society. The ability to connect and have meaningful relationships is just slipping out of our fingers. As Jonathan Haidt at NYU, a professor in the social sciences says, it's embracing this Western cultural value system that's actually making us more fragile emotionally not stronger, we're less able to cope with suffering than any generation, any culture before us. Emotional withdrawal doesn't help, emotional gratification doesn't work either, but 
we're more likely to choose this third option to cling to something else for the hope of the future. Something disappoints us, then we move on to something else instead. I, I, I referenced uh, many weeks ago, Frank Lloyd Wright, and he had had this affair and then, you know, he's with this new fling and then she is uh, brutally murdered, um, she and others. And, and so he just throws himself into his work, into his architecture in, in this new sort of uh, committed way. He, he, he puts his hope in something else. And for us, and maybe it's the vaccine, like maybe, maybe our hope is in the vaccine is gonna bring us back. It's gonna make everything right. It's gonna bring us back. Or maybe it's, you know, there's a new administration coming that's going to make life better. Or maybe it's just, it's a, there's a new year on the horizon. That's going to do it all for us. Or it could be just something else altogether. But we are, we have a proclivity to pick something besides Jesus to put our ultimate hope in, to be the source for how we cope with our disappointments. But what does Joseph do here? What happens for him? How does he move from his thoughts of divorcing Mary to cooperation and compliance and an agreement with and, and obedience to God's command that this child is coming and it's of the Holy Spirit. You'll say, well, maybe you say, well, it's not fair. Joseph had an angelic visitation. And if I had an angelic visitation, you know, my life, it'd be so much easier to make decisions because then I would know. Well, actually you're wrong on both accounts. Um, it wasn't just the presence of the angel. The angel doesn't show up and say, hey, it's just going to be all better. That's not what happened. That's not what's going on here. And, and furthermore, first century Jews would have been the last people on the planet to embrace the reality that God had become a man. The reason why the way that Joseph is able to move from this dis despair, this disappointment to, to wonder from rejecting Mary to embracing her in the pregnancy wasn't the presence of the angel. It was the message of the angel. It was the revelation that he brought. That's what he needed. That's what we need. That's what the Holy Spirit offers us. It's the revelation of this message. That's how disappointment is eclipsed by the wonder of Christ by revelation. Verse 20 says, but he considered these things, behold, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave, had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The reality of who the baby was, who Christ is, is what moved Joseph's heart from disappointment to wonder. When we encounter the wonder of Jesus Christ, our disappointment is eclipsed by his very being. 
And the Lord wants us to have that revelation. In fact, there's four layers of revelation, if you think about it, that are converging to point us to who Jesus is. There is the message of the angel. That's a revelation. There is the message of the prophet Isaiah that he's referring back to here in the passage. There is the, the revelation of the gospel writer himself, Matthew. And finally, there is the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, all converging to show us the wonder of who he is. That Jesus is both Savior and God. That he is both God and man. That he, his name, Jesus, in the Hebrew, Yeshua, means Yahweh is salvation. Emmanuel was not his name, God with us. It's who he is. It's God come to be with us. Christ is God and Savior. 100% human, 100% God, a mystery of mysteries. Two natures, one person. It's the wonder of the incarnation. For 2,000 years, the amazement of the virgin birth has inspired art in so many things. Yet that miracle is eclipsed by the wonder and the reality that the creator and the created have come together in one. It's the wonder of Christ. It's the revelation and all of the revelation that points to who he is, that brings us to a place of wonder, that brings us in this moment in history in 2020, that even amidst all that we have experienced and continue to experience, we could have wonder. And finally, our last point, and he is with us. He is with us. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus Christ, he communicates to you and to me all the goodness of God's covenant blessing, both corporately and personally. That Christ not only came to Mary and to Joseph, but he has come to us. I mean, there's so many things that he, him being with us means, that his presence with us means, as the scripture talks about, his nearness to us is our good. It's the fact that all that was made wrong in the garden, in his coming, God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, that now it's all being undone. All that is wrong, all that is distorted, all of that is brought suffering and pain now begins the point at which it is being undone. And now Jesus Christ has come to put it all back together. That his, his, that his glory has come, that his kingdom has come, and that it's leading us as Colossians 1.27 to this point where we can say with confidence, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. What is glory? Glory is our ultimate longing. It's the thing that actually is what we most desire. All of our disappointment, all of the, the shadows of this world, all of the brokenness and sin, all all of the death, all of the suffering, all of the lament. It's, it's present with us because ultimately we have a longing for glory. The glory of 
finally being made right, finally being made new, and finally being reunited with our Creator, with our Lord, with Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ is our hope of glory, and that hope became real in His revelation. Christ with us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If we surrender to Christ and give him our life, responding in full submission to him, he assures us of glory in his second coming. It'll finally be realized when, it, when he returns. You know, C.S. Lewis says in paraphrase that if I have longings and desires that cannot be fulfilled in this world, perhaps I was created for another world. All of your longing, all of your desires, all of your disappointment ultimately is fulfilled in the glory of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply this precious reality in our lives? Well, let me ask you some questions. What are your disappointments this year? List them. Name them, identify them, write them down. Where are your longings and expectations unmet in your life right now? How are you dealing with those? Are you emotionally withdrawing? Are you somehow pushing forward to emotional gratification? Or are you looking for some other way to find hope in something else, the next thing, the vaccine, the new president, the new year, or whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever it is that has created disappointment, how are you dealing with it? Name it, identify it. Brothers and sisters, I do want to remind us that even when life goes back to normal, we had problems before. So what are we putting our hope in? This week, I encourage you, slow down and take a moment and allow yourself to wonder at the incarnation, to wonder at the very being of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Get your journal, write out the hope of glory. What does that mean? What does that mean for your unmet expectations and disappointments that you've experienced this year? You know, the reality is there's some things they're not going to get fixed. There's things that we're hoping for, they're not going to materialize. Yet, those disappointments are eclipsed by the wonder of who Jesus is, that he brings us the assurance of glory. This week, I encourage you, put some Christmas hymns on and take time and, wor and worship, worship Jesus, worship Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you, whatever predicament, even by yourself, he is with you. And confess to him your laments, the things that you've lost, and also where you have misplaced your hope, where you've put it in other things, or you've tried to deal with your emotions your own way, and bring it to him, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And finally, take a moment this week perhaps even today or even every day and ask God to reveal Christ to you afresh because ultimately it's revelation 
that's what we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters here. Let us together wonder in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.